Weather today in the ground. I love you so badly. I could... They're solid plastic, so don't settle for imitation. But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. <laughs> Good evening, this is Claire Queen Tanner, and this is the best of Alan Smithy podcasts. You give us 100 minutes and we'll give you 100 minutes of words. Tonight's movie is the special story of 80's sibling rivalry, starring that adorable Lance Guest from The Last Starfighter, and Jeffrey Kramer of Jaws. From the 22nd of August, 2009, it's a very special commentary track for Rick Rosenthal's 1981 Halloween 2. Welcome to a very special episode of an Alan Smithy podcast. My name's Matt, and I write for cinemachine.blogspot.com. And I'm Andrew, and I write for thestopbutton.com. And this is our very first ever commentary track, and in celebration of Rob Zombie's sequel remake to the remake um, of Halloween, we are watching Rick Rosenthal's original 1981 Halloween 2. And um, this is a bad movie, but it has so much. Uh, it had so much influence at the time from John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, the makers of the original, that um, that it's uh, it sort of ends up being a mixed bag of a bad movie. So we uh, we've got our movies queued up here, and uh, if you at home, um, if you're watching this on DVD, you should probably get it to the uh, to the menu um, so that you can play the movie at the push of a button. Or on your computer or whatever. Um, and get past the FBI warning, too. Right, right. Get past all that. Um, pretty ready. much get it to where the Universal logo uh, fades in. And we will we'll talk you through that so that we make sure that we're all on the same page here, folks. Um, okay. Uh, how about on three, we press play. You ready, Andrew? Yeah. One, two, three. Three. Stars. Here's the planet. The word universal crystallizes. An MCA company. And it fades out. And here we go. So, Mr. Sandman, uh, at, a, at a recent screening of this movie, uh, Rick Rosenthal mentioned that it was Deborah Hill's idea to use the song. And I remember in our very first episode, our Alan... Uh, of Alan Smithy podcast, our John Carpenter show, you mentioned that like the use of this song is sort of so perfect that you kind of remember it as being from the first movie. And uh, I realized that it happened to me. I used to think that it was in the first movie, but it was the second movie's idea. And, and so did um, so did Rick Rosenthal during that Q and A. They asked him, and he said, "You know, wasn't that in the first one?" And the audience, you know shook their heads and I think Alan mm-hmm. Howarth came forward and was like I think that was Deborah Hill's idea cause... oh yeah it was Alan Howarth who mentioned it yeah so by the we... way the movie is the movie is already broken its promise of being all new because this is footage from the first movie here we go although the music uh, is different although they're using they're using the same footage from the first movie but the music here 
ordinarily it would be dun, 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 you know. I think the very first shot uh, of the house is new footage. And I think they might they might have shot some new footage here with Pleasance to kind of yeah to insert him out in front of the house yeah. And this is a really bad idea because Jamie Lee Curtis's hair is going to look totally different in about four minutes. Yeah, it's going to change colors and turn into a bad wig. And you would think that they could have somehow gotten her to... She hadn't been in trading places yet, so she wasn't, you know, legit, mm-hmm. um, to quote Kevin Williamson. So, Yeah, her legit Hollywood movie where she shows her tits, as opposed to these exploitative horror movies. And now, they did also change that, where we don't get to see Michael Myers' face. Yeah, they cut out the actor, uh, Tony Moran, I think is his name. And I never got that. I mean, it's not like Tony Moran was going to be a big problem. <laughs> Expensive, yeah. Well, maybe they thought it was, oh, this is a new shot. Yeah. And somehow we're supposed to think that he's going to live through that easier than what he lived through at the end of the first one. Um, I did want to mention before we get into the um, substance of the film was that uh, one of the the funny things about Halloween H2O, which also uses Mr. Sandman, and I think they even pointed out that it was first used in this, but I don't think they like credited it to Rick Rosenthal, was on, I think it's even on the crappy non-special edition DVD that says special edition... Oh, we can't. That's got to be a new shot of Pleasance. Uh, yeah, that there. <clears throat> And then this inexplicable going out the that, front door. That's right, because in the first movie, he looks at the ground from the top floor. Yeah. And now he's... The backyard looks like the front yard or something. Yeah, it does. Um, anyway, so real quick before... Oh, there's blood, though. There's this documentary on the H2O DVD, and... Um, if, it, if it bleeds, Donald Pleasance can kill it. <laughs> um... They're interviewing Josh Hartnett, and obviously, if you read the stop button, you know that I'm one of the apparently only people who like Josh Hartnett. They, one of the reasons I you know, started liking him in the first place was is he was talking about Halloween H2O and how his agent was like, do you want to be in it? And he's like, well, is that going straight to video or straight to hell? And that's kind of how I feel about this one. <laughs> like, <laughs> But this wouldn't have been direct to video even if they had it at the time. Yeah, no, so this classy. is... Well, produced by Carpenter and Hill. It's produced by Carpenter and Hill. It's from Dino De Laurentiis and Universal. It's, um, yeah, Dino De Laurentiis right there. This is also in Mustafa Akkad. Did he distribute the first movie? He did I distribute think- the first movie, and he had presents on all of them until the remake, I believe. Oh, look, it's like the Towering Inferno. Yeah, it is. Star. Yeah, exactly. And this is this was always really memorable. Um, this opening sequence because the first one doesn't really have an opening title sequence because they well, don't have yeah, the money. Well, yeah, it's exactly like this. It's got a pumpkin. What? Or yeah, the original. The, the do you mean the title sequence or the little prologue? The title. The original has a little pumpkin that splits into a skull. No, it doesn't. It doesn't split into a skull. It's it's just a pumpkin. Oh. It's just a hollow, just a jack o' lantern. Well, then that yeah no the the splitting into the skull thing is okay important. yeah 
I well, I thought I thought that was cool as a kid. I mean, I also thought the prologue was cool as a kid when they say you don't know what death is, and that really bad actor, the neighbor, goes, you know, I've been trick or treated to death tonight. Hunter um, von Lear. I always loved that guy because of his name. Well, he really looks like his name. He's just a yeah. big slab of blonde beef. I mean, it's it's too bad that Quentin Tarantino didn't cast him as a Nazi in uh, <laughs> Inglorious Bastards. Um, oh, yeah, and we haven't mentioned yet that, um, even though we're a little early, um, Rick Rosenthal is one of the few... 12, 14 directors who has actually used the Alan Smithy pseudonym. Oh, look, Mark Goldblatt edited it. And Skip Skolnick, which incredibly isn't a pseudonym. There's well, a real Skip Skolnick. But Mark Goldblatt went on to very high-profile projects, including yeah, the first did. Batman. Yeah. yeah, And Aliens. Oh, no, he didn't. That was um, the guy who directed 2001. No. What? He, direct, he directed, uh, I mean... Uh, the editor of Batman was Ray Lovejoy. Oh, that's right. Maybe Goldblatt did the second one. He did something really big. No, well, he went on to big movies for sure. Yeah, he Just also like a... directed The Punisher. <laughs> oh, the first yeah. one. Dean Coonie, yeah. who Rick mm-hmm. Rosenthal doesn't have anything to say about, which is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, um, who bridges who bridges the gap of you know who makes this movie at least look like the first one superficially, and who also went on to big things like. You know, he shot Jurassic Park years later, lots of big stuff. I think he shot a lot of um, 90s Spielberg, or late 80s, early 90s. I mean, yeah. And then, of course, we didn't comment on that it says written by, screenplay by Deborah Hill, even though if you can find John Carpenter talking about this, it talks about what a miserable experience it is, and Deborah Hill isn't mentioned anywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I've never, he never mentions her. Maybe he's trying to leave her out of it. Well, I mean, one of the things about the first one is is she's credited with writing that really good teenage girl dialogue, mm-hmm. which this has none of. So it's kind of like, I think he was just, they were being polite and putting her in there. Yeah. I mean... So here we have a uh, direct first-person shot, and, you know, it, it, aside from the opening, the famous opening of the original Halloween, there really aren't any direct POV shots from Michael Myers' point of view. Like, it's all he's all kind of, you know, on the side. It's kind of over the shoulder. And that was one of the things that, like, Halloween got cliched with and criticized for is, like, these shots that are supposed to bring us more into the, the killer's uh, side of things and make it more voyeuristic about the murder. He's also got... He can also do a kind of jump-forward cut here, apparently. Special Michael Myers vision. Um, but... There's a there's actually a ton of uh, like first person Michael Myers camera in this one compared to the first one, and I kind of like this uh, sequence. It's kind it's a little eerie, and I kind of like when he steals uh, this lady's knife here in the kitchen. It's cheesy. (laughs) It's just so. I mean, the thing about Dean Coonie is is he's so lush. I guess would be the word you'd use in this period of his career, and it's just Mm -hmm. it's just so fun to watch him. That, yeah, um, all the rich, all the rich blacks and blues. It's just, um, I mean, look at this with the. Uh, we've got oh, the, the guy in focus. Die and, yeah. shot here. Yeah, it's nice. And then we have Night of the Living Dead, which. Um... <laughs> well, it's kind of it's supposed to be analogous to how the first movie had clips from uh, the thing from Another World, I think. 
the movie that keeps playing uh, on the background. Except they get to two movies or three in this, don't they? Or they do they draw? Oh, look at product placement. There you go. The sequel. Tell all. It's gonna be more blatant later. Now I really wish that had been Deborah Hill's hand again, like it was in the first one. <laughs> but um. But you would know. Okay, and there we get that, and then um. What a nice shot. By the way, this opening was kind of stolen by Friday the Thirteenth Part Three couple of years later yeah um when we get to a boring segment or something we're gonna have to talk about sequels in this period oh and she sees the blood look at that with coke in the shot the whole time let's let's do it when we get to the security guard getting killed because that okay. takes forever all right let's not forget and this sequence here the way they shoot um Maybe well, this, not this, the movie. This is new uh, Carpenter footage, I think. This is this uh, this whole murder of the girl next door. Uh, Carpenter shot when he was brought in after uh, Rosenthal uh, made his first cut because he thought it didn't have enough killings in it. Well, right, but that he wasn't brought in. He said that he didn't have enough killings in it, and then oh yeah, he brought himself. In. He brought himself in. Um, I was a little dismayed to find out that he shot this particular murder because this is. I hate how gratuitous this is. I was, you know, the whole hypodermic needle that's going to come up, that Carpenter shot that insert shot. I mean, it's kind of like... It's, it's the exact opposite of what you'd think Carpenter, you know, would have to go in and fix. It's, he's not really a gore guy, especially even in the first Halloween. But he kind of... <laughs> he, he he said, you know, in his words, he said he sort of knew he needed to compete with Friday the 13th now and add some gore. Well, considering his whole involvement was this was a contractual obligation with um, the producers and that he hated writing it, et cetera, et cetera, I'm sure he was pretty disaffected while he was working on it. Um, yeah. Especially adding the, the relationship between Michael Myers and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in this one, which is... Well, that just makes all these killings more gratuitous because in the first one, it's sort of random who... Uh who Michael Myers is killing, and that's part of why it's scary. But if in this one we're supposed to finally understand that it's not random, it's all targeted at Laurie, then it makes even less sense how he seems to be going out of his way so much to kill other people. Right. Well, um, we were talking about uh, at one point, I think we didn't record it, how we hadn't seen H2O in like 10 years. That even puts it further um, that... It's when the people turn 18, he kills them, or 17, or whatever. Regardless of gender, that's when he killed the first sister, that's when he tried to kill Lori, that's when he tries to kill... Oh, there we go. I think you see too much of him also. Yeah. That close-up on the face. They should have hit him a little longer, because I like how... When you see him in the the kitchen, stealing the knife. Well, he's front-lit in that shot, too. And it kills the mask being scary when you can see the detail of it. Yeah. Incidentally, a lot of people think that it was a different mask but in this one, but it was actually the same one. It had just deteriorated a little bit, and that's why it looks a little different. I think it has a little less hair. The hair also changed color a little, right? Yeah, but it actually is the same mask from the yeah. first movie. So. But they, maybe they would have been better uh off Look at getting. that wig. Look at that wig. <laughs> She looks like Eddie Murphy in drag. Um, 
And I didn't actually mean to make a reference to Trading Places having Eddie Murphy in it, because they really aren't in a lot of scenes together, but... Or Eddie Murphy fucking transvestites and wigs. Didn't he also play, what was that one guy who had the Jerry, not the, he had the dreadlocks, Jerry Curl dreadlocks on Saturday Night Live, who also liked transvestites? Anyway, um, so there's Lance Guest and Leo Rossi. Oh yeah, Lance Guest. Did you notice how it was dusk uh, when they were taking her to the car? The sun was coming up, the sky was blue instead of black. No, I missed that. Um, Lance Guest was going to be a big Universal star after he was in Jaws 2 a couple years before this. No, no, he wasn't in Jaws 2. Oh, I thought he was. He was in Jaws 4. Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) That was the end. I think Last Starfighter, I don't know what happened between Last Starfighter and Jaws 2, or Jaws 4. Whoever was in Jaws 2, I don't think they were trying to prep him, but that's one of the things I want to talk about during the security guard sequences. The relationship oh, between this and Jaws 2. Here, here's a uh, famous urban legend brought to life on the screen about um, people putting razor blades and apples and catching little children. And that was, I guess, one of the things that um, they had said was exploitative about this one was that it had sort of... Well, look at, look at that. Well, ah, ah. <laughs> it sort of bought into all this stuff. And then... Um, the Halloween stuff and sort of tried to refer to it versus the first one, which was shot under the title, the babysitter murders. So yeah, that's true. Oh, I totally thought that thing got knocked on its side in this one, but I guess that was Magnolia. Um, Leo Rossi, who went on to possibly longer success than Lance Gast. Um, Oh, look at that wig. Oh. You feel Leo so Rossi. bad for her in some ways. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't get to do anything in this movie, but maybe she didn't really want to either. She complained about it later. You know, she said, I felt it was, what, stupid that you had this strong female character who, this was post-True Lies after she'd gotten to be the James Cameron female action hero. Um, who, oh, I'm sure that, um, nurse was in Rick Rosenthal's acting class, which he talks about in the Q and A, which we've got a link to because well, yeah, we'll yeah. link to it on the site. It was sponsored by Shock Daily Drop. It was very cool of them to do it. We'll link to it on the site. Yeah. By the way, uh, you work in a hospital, right? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Please cut that out. Okay. There's Glory Gifford. Is she going to be authoritative in this scene? Apparently her role was written for a 50-year-old white woman. And her character's name is Mrs. Alves. And I've always known that she was named after Joe Alves, who was the production designer on uh, Jaws and Escape from New York. And Jaws 2, when he directed Jaws 3, um, if we want to get into nepotism in uh, Universal pictures in the late uh whatever Lance, Lance Guest Joe Alves connection no you keep getting that wrong Lance Guest was in Jaws the Revenge that yeah, was directed well, by Joseph Sargent Joseph Sargent I know, it was released by Universal it's okay all the same. it has nothing to do with Joe Alves who's unappreciated 
Are they pushing her blood back into her body? What is going on? Look at that leg. They're foreshadowing the penetration of more flesh to come. Do you think Rick Rosenthal knew the word foreshadowing at this point? Oh, he must. From the original. From the original. Bracket. And they mention that he's only in this until they find his daughter's body, and that's somewhat illogical, considering he's the sheriff. But then we bring in Hunter Von Leer, who I'm sure was in Surf Vacation from Universal the next summer. Surf Vacation. I'm making that up. I have no idea, but... (laughs) What else would Hunter Von Leer have been in besides this? And he gets his own title card in this. What's funny about... um, Uh, no. We can't have any dead air, because everybody always complains during uh, audio commentary reviews when there's dead well, I, air. I, I agree. I wish that it had been Charles Cyphers and Donald Pleasance running around instead of Hunter Von Lear. Oh, this is really violent and gratuitous here. The uh... <laughs> Oh, the death of Ben Tramer, who's the oh. only boy who likes um, Laurie Strode. Yeah. yeah. When they find out later, it's actually... So that this really is the worst night of her life. Did she find out that he died? I don't know. No, no, but in the character's life, you know. So I, I kind of like this because, well, you know, if Michael Myers stole the mask in the original, then there had to have been more masks right. like this. But Ben Tramer was the only other guy to buy. That's a bad dummy. Uh, ben Tramer was the only other guy in town to buy one. Well, this is also um, this is also now a movie that has exploding cars. Which, yeah, this is, it's already yeah. kind of beyond the budget of the first one. It's beyond the budget of the first one, and it's about as um, realistic as an episode of the A-Team. So, hmm. Which also was produced by Universal Studios. Um, I always wanted to see what happened uh, to the cop who ran into this kid. I imagine well, he's he very upset. Look at that fine Dean Coonty shot. <laughs> Look at that. And then there's Hunter. He's very sad, Hunter Vodlier is. And why is Donald Pleasance chasing them? He doesn't know who Annie is. And then, so we've got... Yeah, that's pretty insensitive, both to the cop and to poor Ben Tramer. Yep. What's funny is is that whole um, razor blade and the candy thing, that went on for years and years. I mean, I heard it and remember it. So yeah, but I, I don't think there's ever actually been a documented case. No, of that. there hasn't. No, yeah, purely urban legend. Although it seems so plausible. Um, this is the emptiest hospital in the world. Well, it was shot around area hospitals, multiple hospitals in the Los Angeles area, and I, I imagine that was to keep it somewhat cheap that they could shoot in. Um, this kind of thing. I can't really believe that Laurie Strode, after the first movie, where she was sort of, um, there was a whole point about her being a prude, yeah, would sort of come on to Lance Guest. Because yeah. he's a goofball. <laughs> yeah, look at that hair. Um, okay. This is where he's offering her a Coke, right? <laughs> 
And now we've got um, we've got Glory Gifford as the. Mm-hmm. As, she as... was at she was at the uh, Q and A as well. She knew uh, Rick Rosenthal from uh, acting classes at AFI, which we presume is where a lot of these actors came from. They weren't Universal guys like Lance Guest. I think this is how Lance Guest got started as a Universal guy, actually, which is kind of frightening if you think about it. That well, he is kind of one of the least disgusting uh, actors in the movie. That's true, but I mean, think about it in terms of right. He reminds me of like Axel from Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter, the uh, (laughs) mortician or the you know the (laughs) the horny morgue attendant. Played by what's his face from uh, oh, here Police Academy. Car- here comes uh, here's Dana Carvey wearing that uh, that uh, blue vest there and talking to the reporter. Wow, Mr. Dana Carvey. Wow, he is credited in this as TV assistant or just assistant. There he goes. I think he might have a line in the TV version, which we should mention varies a lot from the theatrical version. It is longer and. Um, there's a different ending to some degree. We'll talk about that as we try and fill time. But um, it's also here's, here's Nancy Keys. Nancy Keys from the original, coming back as a corpse for one shot. <laughs> and I think she, for John Carpenter fans, is the inexplicable. Why did she quit acting? Because she's always been really good. I mean, she's great in the fog. Like she's better in the fog <laughs> yeah. than uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is. Yeah. And then she just totally disappears, which is really unfortunate because she had a, a really small role in Halloween 3, and then I don't remember ever seeing her again. Did she get her face fried off in Halloween 3? No, she's, uh, she's uh, what's his face, Atkins' wife. Oh, Where he right. fights with her over the, the kids. And we're missing where we are basically transitioning between... Hunter Von Leer being the cop well, there, versus... There's the, tr- there's the transition, because that's the last time we see Charles Cyphers. There's a new sheriff in town. His name's Lear. Von Leer. Now, Donald Pleasance should know that Michael Myers wasn't walking around trick-or-treating, because didn't that kid have a trick-or-treating bag? Yeah, good point. Uh, I love and I love how uh, he in that scene it's like he's about to shoot him before he even gets hit by a police car. That kid was fucked. He was either going to get hit by a car or shot by Donald Pleasance just for wearing the wrong mask. The William Shatner mask. Mm-hmm. Um, which of course. There was the DVD release of this where you got the free mask. Not this, but the first one. You got the free mask, which was just kind of <laughs> like, do I really need to spend 60 bucks to get a recreation of the mask? Nice uh, cowboy hat for small town Illinois, as I always say. Yeah, this was shot by Carpenter, I think. Who knows if these girls' dialogue was, was from um, Deborah Hill or not. Well, now supposedly yeah, Carpenter are talking about parties and boys like the girls in the first one. Now, the first one, of course, has the TV version with the uh, extra scenes that they shot for 
because it, the first movie's 90 minutes long, and that's not long enough to cut out all the violence or whatever. So they shot like an extra flashback scene with uh, Loomis and young Michael. And uh, and it ties yeah. into this one because it references the sister. Or yeah, something. They did, that, that's right. Yeah. For a, a retro continuity. And so Carpenter probably shot all that at the same time. And there's the famous, um, for people who remember early DVD um, stuff back when Anchor Bay was good. The Criterion Collection had it pan and scan because they thought he shot it um, standard. But he actually didn't. He shot it scope. And um, they found it, like, I don't know, in some basement in Germany. And uh, Anchor Bay got it on their special TV release, which... I guess... And here you go. I mean, you can tell this is not... Halloween too, because it is over the shoulder, like you were saying, and it's. Um... By the way, there's a very clever idea here, and it only exists in this shot, in this scene. But it's the fact that Michael Myers is wearing a Halloween mask on Halloween, and normal people are just walking past him, and that's pretty uncanny. And I wish they'd done something more clever with that idea. But that's it—the fact that he's walking amongst normal people. Good idea. Totally underused. It's one of those things that there's just no exploitative value in. And since Carpenter never wanted to make a sequel to it in the first place, um, and turned down probably a significant payday when it came to Halloween H2O, because they offered that to him, and he said no. Um, mm-hmm. He's like, sorry, and I'm, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> oh, and there we go, that's a... It, it's yes. impressive Dean Coondy could do that shot, but damn, the mask, that's a, looks, the mask looks really awful there. And it's kind of a cartoonish shot. I mean, it's you shouldn't be able to see his eyes as much as you already have in this right. movie. So here comes some very uh, Friday oh. the thir- Friday the Thirteenth level characterization. <laughs> Presumably, John Carpenter wrote this. Um, yeah. It's uh, <clears throat> there. It's dry spell time when they uh, when they set up these people who are just set up to be stabbed. Except Alex Rossi gets a ton of character development compared to all the other victims in the movie. Don't you think they should have gotten William Hootkins for this guy? I think they should have gotten... fucking security guard. Yeah, should have gotten William Hootkins. Then it that would have added a layer to the sort of fan appreciation of Halloween too. Mm-hmm. That it or was... Pat Engel or something. Pat Engel. Some kind of big fat guy. <laughs> <laughs> and for people who remember Halloween H2O, there's also the security guard in that. So, um, I don't know if they were thinking of that. Well, actually, uh, speaking of H2O, um, when Tommy Lee Wallace turned down the script for this movie, he or maybe before, he suggested a plot line of Laurie going away to college and picking up a few years later and Michael Myers showing up at a private school, and that's pretty much what H2O was. And it's kind of like this one, because it's a contained setting, um, the hospital, or the private school. But originally, supposedly, Carpenter and Hill wanted to do this as Laurie running through a um, high-rise apartment complex. Yeah, that's right. Which was just like, um, 
what's that one called? The Carpenter Somebody, TV. Somebody's movie. somebody's watching me. The, yeah, with Lauren Hutton. Yeah. Which did between this and Halloween one. And it's kind of unfortunate they didn't go with that. Um, Although you know, when I read that too, I realized that's probably why the hospital is so empty, because it might have been written as a high rise first with not as many people. That's true. Well, except the only explanation I can think of, like the oversight of why there are so few uh, hospital employees or patients. There are no patients or in this patients. hospital. Yeah, it's it's the girl with the razor blade and Lori, and that's it. Um, I'm, I'm presumably, if it were Lori being chased through a apartment building, it would be her for most of it, which would have been different. Preferable. Um, yeah. Nobody talks about this. We tried to find Carpenter talking about this movie, and he really doesn't. Um, he talked yeah, about it at the time, uh, saying it wasn't very good um, when he was doing interviews for The Thing. Carpenter's stock response to questions about Halloween 2 is to say that he he wrote the script one night with a six-pack of beer, and Laurie and Michael being brother and sister was the best he could come up with. That's pretty much all he ever says about it anymore. And I mean, Carpenter is somebody who's very comfortable with the commercial exploitation of his properties. You know, all those remakes of his stuff, he could, he's said that he could care less as long as he gets the check. Yeah. And um, there's no reason to think he wouldn't feel the same way about a sequel that he was contractually obligated to work on. Oh, you know what? There's, uh, I think in a second we're going to see Michael Myers sneak into um, a maternity ward, and that's the other part of the hospital that has some human life in it. Yeah, okay, I see one baby. <laughs> I think there's two or three, and one of the nurses mentions like having to take care of them. I hope they don't kill the nurse that has to take care of the babies. Okay, we got two. Yep. These POV okay. shots are... It's kind of surprising Rick Rosenthal didn't direct a Friday the 13th at some point. He would have been, you know what, this would have been a good Friday the 13th if it were a Friday the 13th by the standards of those movies. Oh, it would have been real, well, I mean, it's Panavision. I don't think they oh, ever right. had a Panavision. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's Dean Coondy, come on. Oh, uh, Friday the 13th 3, I think, was Panavision and 3D. Trying to, that was the Steve Miner one. He really was not. A he, did, very, he did two and three. Yeah, Steve Miner. and um, uh, and Halloween movie later he did. He H, did H two O. And now it's gotten a lot darker in the hospital for some reason. Um, they don't have Lori's light turned on, and Lance Guest, Universal leading man of the early eighties, is macking on the serial killer victim. He's she's getting some lines finally. She's getting to react to uh, what happened to her in the last movie, only a half an hour into the sequel. Let's not forget that she did have living parents or adoptive parents at this point. Who they, they, have... they mentioned? They mentioned that they tried to call them, but they couldn't get them, and that's all you hear about. Because they were at a party, right? Right, they're at yeah. a party. Pre-cell phone times. But they seem to stop trying. And it's not like Donald Pleasance is worried about her, even though he knows there's a sister in the... Uh, 
In the what? Oh, that's well, right. In, it's, in the, in the pre-shot material. Yeah, right. it's post. It's it's in new continuity. I mean, that's kind of the funny thing about Halloween movies is it contradicts itself. They have a lot yeah. of continuity, um, in a way that um, you didn't yeah. really get a lot of. I mean, Friday the Thirteenth were a little bit looser from what I've seen, and I don't know about Nightmare on Elm Streets, but Friday the Thirteenth or Halloween was very heavy into the whole continuity thing um yeah they, they were so into continuity that the third movie didn't have anything to do with the first two because <laughs> it was gonna be like the twilight zone until john carpenter and deborah hill found out you couldn't kill kids and get good critical that, response oh that's not why it didn't get a good critical response that didn't help it either no i think if it hadn't had that scene people might have mentioned that it looked like a 50s sci-fi movie from universal of course but uh yeah well the reason that there's so poor light in the in this hospital is because um rosenthal was uh trying to go for a german expressionist look he tells people lots of shadows lots of darkness but i mean you know the first movie had a lot of darkness too so it's just you know you just take it as a continuation of the first movie's style and Steen Cundy, so lots of darkness, rich, black, velvety, blue, and dark. Yeah, I mean, this is a good example of, at some. I mean, unfortunately, I think Deborah Hill died in the early night, a few years she died, ago. Yeah, a few, just a few years ago. Um, but... Here, here's the security guard sequence. Okay, we'll get, we'll get well, started on sequels once I finish well, this thought. Um okay producers commentaries where they talk about the directors being full of shit might mm-hmm. actually be really interesting because like something like this or a Jerry Bruckheimer movie, even where, you know, that he was very stringent on making it look like a shitty Jerry Bruckheimer movie, um, would be kind of interesting. And, um, Deborah Hill might've done a commentary on this. I don't think Carpenter would have, I think he's nope. totally disconnected from this. Um, so speaking of sequels, as we go through the long, well-lit sequence, I mean, this is a very well-lit sequence. Um, look at those. Um, look at the bricks on the wall. I mean, Dean Coonty was an amazing, is an amazing uh, cinematographer, and yep. this is much better than Rick Rosenthal deserves. Um, I always, Wow. <laughs> that was bad editing from Mark Oldblatt. They really needed to cut that a few seconds earlier. Um, I always sort of saw this one, maybe just because of the period I saw it in, as sort of comparable to Jaws 2 and Rocky 2. Because if you think of those two franchise, three these three franchises in the early 80s, they were the only active franchises in a way. I mean, Halloween or Friday the 13th wasn't a respectable franchise, but Halloween it was incredibly well regarded. I mean, Siskel and Ebert did a special show on it, you know, how good it was versus all the crap. And um Jaws and Rocky and then it's like by the third one no one thought yeah, about those one, anymore. Nobody, yeah, nobody cares by the third. So it's like, and this one also is going to have somebody from Jaws 2 in it in a little bit. And then um, 
just the whole concept of becoming a teen movie, because that's who your audience turned out to be for the first one. Um, Jaws 2 was a teen movie. This is a teen movie. Even though Rocky the first... a teen movie? No, Rocky 2 probably isn't a teen movie. Um, I've only seen it once, and um, I think I've only seen all of those once. But continuing that thought, um, yeah. originally Halloween's H2O was supposed to be somewhat postmodern in that the they were going to reference the movies 4, 5, and 6 as being fictional representations of Jamie Lee Curtis's life or something. Or, yeah. Yeah, and the they... One, ne- the ones without her, right? Yeah, the ones without her were going to be, you know, because she wouldn't sign off on it or something and ex- exploiting but, her but misery. I think they also, but I think they incorporated them because they had to say that um, well, in, in Halloween 4, they say that she died uh, between the movies, and that's why Michael Myers is no longer going after her. She's, he's going after her niece or something. But then in H2O, I think they say that uh, she faked her death, so they're acknowledging it that way. She faked I, her death. That, to go- I always thought they were going to say that they had made movies about her, and then I was going to tie it into saying that Rocky Balboa sort of ties into the um, public perception of the Rocky movies in a way that um, no other, whatever, 15-year-removed sequel has done. Um, mm-hmm. Die Hard 4 certainly didn't and probably would have been better served if it had. Didn't he just have a lock that was open? Um, so, yeah, I mean, this always, for me, felt like kind of like Jaws 2. It had a lot of the same principles... Same producers, comparable production value, but... More killings. More killings. And a lot more grossness. um, Yeah. Type thing. Well, yeah. I mean, the Friday the 13th movies, they made their sequels so rapidly um, because Halloween 1 was 78, Friday the 13th 1 was 80, and then in 81, you have Halloween 2 and Friday the 13th 2. And I, I, I felt like the Friday the 13th movies were always one step behind the Halloween movies in that, um, you know, the first Friday the 13th was made just as a Friday, as a Halloween ripoff. Right. And, uh, oh, Friday the 13th 2 also has a claw hammer to the head. I thought that was interesting. Um and then when both movies' sequels come out the same year here, um, Halloween 2 makes a bigger deal out of this idea that Michael Myers can't be killed. It's hinted at in the first movie and not confirmed until the last shots of the movie. But in this one, it's like, you know, the, when the movie opens, he's been shot a bunch of times. Right. So you know he's, you know, super supernatural to a degree. And they in Friday the 13th 2, they introduce Jason, but he's not, like, supernaturally invincible until the next movie, until Friday the 13th 3. So they were, like, they were, they weren't just copying the, the formula of the Halloween movies. They even copy the idea of this killer who can't be killed. That is uh, Jeffrey Kramer from Jaws 1 and 2, um, by the way, Roy Scheider's assistant. Um, they have gotten the body to the morgue this quickly. And it's really, 
the body uh, looks like it's been destroyed for a long time too. Is that but... the guy who hit him? It might be the guy who hit him. We just saw what happened to him. And um, <laughs> very manly nodding. Um, and now we've got the riot at the Myers home, which I guess made sense to me the first time I saw this when I was like 12. But Yeah, there's a lot of things that make sense when you're 12. As an uh, adult, you're kind of like... Why would they do this? How did they like, know they, that... Do they, mean... think, do they think he's in there or something? Like, what good, what good is busting up the house? It, make, it makes no sense, like, you know, that Myers boy who lived in this house 20 years ago killed some people. Let's break up the house. That'll show him. This cop car is as green as the cockpit of Snake Plissken's plane. <laughs> also shot by Dean Coondy, escaped from New York. Mm-hmm. But not, unfortunately, not escaped from L.A. Um... That was Gary B. Keeby, who is actually an assistant cameraman in this movie. Is he? Okay. Uh-huh. I like Donald Pleasance's line, you know, they're a tribe. They're, you know, they've had one of their own killed. He has such disdain for the people of Haddonfield that he's supposed to be protecting. Or, I guess he doesn't. <laughs> I guess he no, doesn't I mean, care. he's not. He doesn't really care. Yeah. It's um, but I love that line about uh, I don't know if you said it yet. You know, if I'm right, there's going to be a lot more kids slaughtered tonight. <laughs> I think it's at the end of this scene, actually. Oh, here's Hunter von Leer making sure we see that Loomis is getting the lighter by flicking it in his face, setting that up for the ending. Oh wow, I'd never noticed that before. Um. There's Loomis playing with the lighter. Here he is repeat, repeating his lines. Pretty much get him from the first one. It's it's too bad for Donald Pleasance that he's sort of remembered for this because I think he did actually do. I mean, I've seen uh, an Australian movie he did in '87. So I mean, he was doing other films, but it's just kind of yeah. like this is. He was, kind of, he was kind of asking for it because he was. <laughs> He was in Halloween 4, 5, and 6, too. <gasps> ben Tramer! The girl who, the guy who likes Laurie Strode. Yeah, here's where they find out. And it's it's not even something that you'd catch unless you were a big fan of the original. Or, I mean, an insane fan of the original. Unless you were Carpenter, basically, because in the first one, it's just some throwaway right. line. And, I mean, at this point, Halloween 2 now has more continuity than I would say Empire Strikes Back had. Or mm-hmm. something like that. Because they didn't have anything like that. They didn't have a line in Empire Strikes Back about how Aunt Beru knew one of the yeah. rebels at the thing. And it's just the Ben Tramer line is just kind of... And again, that's space, and this is Haddonfield. That's true. That's Haddonfield. Forget Uh-oh. It, Jake. Do we think that's going to be a... That's such a bad fake scare. Like, was Michael Myers pushing his call button <laughs> Well, I mean, that's sort of the whole Rick Rosenthal theory of scares, is that... Some noise that wouldn't scare you normally would Because it's her job. Let's not forget that it's her job and there are patients in the hospital (laughs) who might actually call for help. I think she's a bad nurse if the call button scares her and she's a nurse. 
I don't think anybody's really good at this job except maybe the EMS guys. And wow, Alan Howarth, ladies and gentlemen, he he came up with that that music cue. It's called a sting. Is it okay? It's not a very good use of it because they kind of you kind of hear it start before the arm comes up. So here's where it's like Friday the Thirteenth Part Four because it's just like. Yeah, medical, medical people and coroners and yeah, just don't don't trust them. They don't do their jobs very well. All they want to do is go off and screw somewhere. Except you get a ton of you find out so much about their relationship in this scene. Like this just goes on and on, and all it is is setting them up to go have sex in the basement. Well, I mean, it's it's Carpenter spinning his wheels, and I I think I remember that. Um that Lauren Hutton TV movie also had some scenes where you found out a lot about the characters without it really. Yeah. But there were only a few characters in that and they were real characters. That's true. And there's only one person who gets killed. And let's contrast this say to the fog, which Carpenter made himself and the amount of time they spent developing the Charles Cyphers, Adrian, Barbeau relationship which never gets consummated even with, you know, the characters being together it's clear that Carpenter's not working really hard right now and um, yeah, it's kind of we, we saw this guy being sleazy before with um, Lance Gasp and now we're seeing his sensitive side a little bit very well rounded He's a real, he's a three-dimensional guy, that Leo Rossi. Um, I wonder if those were different hospitals. Here comes a flashback that, you know, if this had, if, if she had seen, oh wait, no, that's, this is only the first one. She's talking to her adoptive parents about why they won't tell her anything. Oh, okay, yeah, and this. How come she wouldn't remember seeing young Michael at this age? She's not really that young. Why would she block that out of her memory like this? She she knows who he is in this scene. There's also um, some continuity problems because at this point, Loomis had said in the first one he was totally non-responsive. And that's kind of one of the big problems with the first one is somebody taught him to drive, but he was totally non-responsive for 20 years or whatever it was. But it's not a problem because it's scary that he knows how to drive. Nobody taught him. I'm serious. It's it, it's uncanny. It was one of the uncanny touches. The uncanny touches in the first one were nice, and when they try and explain them are problematic. But yeah, as, as opposed to this one where they're definitely... it's it. Even though this one probably came out only a month or two after Friday the 13th, Part 2... Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of it's it's strange how Carpenter knew where the uh, genre was going that people needed yeah. it overexplained yeah. that this is why this happened etc cetera, etc cetera, that the Friday the Thirteenth did the Nightmare on Elm Streets did um, he really uh, had a good feel for the genre he unfortunately created <laughs> <laughs> right yeah I mean he d- he never really likes accepting credit for the slasher genre and the way it went, but he, he, at the moment, this movie is proof that at the moment he understood what it was and what he had created. That's why he, that's why he just saw breasts. 
trying to think. Carpenter movies with nudity other than... Oh, well, Halloween 1 had nudity, but it was, but it had context. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it wasn't, I mean... It wasn't totally... Well, I mean, this, this scene is, this is so elaborate, this, uh, this death sequence, and the way this woman dies is, is so exploitative. And didn't... <laughs> Carpenter shot most of this, right? Like, most of the violence and nudity? Yeah, I think... I'm not sure if he shot this one, though. Well, I mean, this seems like it must have been written into the script yeah. because it's elaborate. But regardless, it's kind of, it's I think it's the most graphic death of the movie. It reminds me of that Hall- uh, Friday the 13th movie where there's the shower scene. It's a lot that? like a Friday it's a lot yeah. like a Friday the 13th death. Um Oh, I better go check on something. And we got the. Actually, it's kind of it's kind of a sleazy, exploitative version of the scene in Halloween between um, PJ Souls and her boyfriend, because the boyfriend they're naked with each other. The boyfriend goes off to do something. He gets killed, and then when Myers uh, goes up to her, she's going to think that he's her boyfriend. Well, I'm sure that's so they could use this, most of the same music cues. Uh, Maybe. It's a long way to go to use the same music cues. And at this point, you have to think about how nothing has actually happened in this movie until this point. Because only, like, two things happen in this movie. You find out that Michael Myers is Laurie's brother. Mm-hmm. And then there's the ending. And all of, I mean, compared to the first one, you know, not even talking about it as a um, sequel, but as a as a as a script that John Carpenter wrote. You know, the first one at this point would Michael Myers have even it would Laurie have even really seen him? I mean, no, she he just you know yeah. they see each other for the first time in the last you know ten minutes of first right. Movie. It's um, totally different the way it's... I mean, would any victims have been... Well, I don't think any victims have been discovered now. They will be, though. Yeah, and this is just... Yeah, I mean, this is very Friday the 13th. um, Icky bad. We're gonna suck on Jason's thumb. (laughs) Okay, now, here we go. This is just gross. (laughs) Her skin's gonna get scalded. We get to see her breasts some more. You... Killing two birds with one stone. Her dead breasts. Right. I do like the fact that, you know, Meyer's hand doesn't hurt in the scalding water, and that's a subtle way of reinforcing that he's inhuman. But that's literally the only nice thing I have to say about this. Gross. Long shot on that. Yeah. Really long shot, yeah. Are they at school here? Yeah, they're at the school now. This this is where uh, Loomis mispronounces Salmon. I thought this was really cool as a kid. Not, um, you know, finding the knife in the on the drawing and then finding Salmon written on the wall. And I didn't really. I think because I didn't really know what it meant. I just knew that it was a Halloween type of word. Like before I, you know, I'd heard of right. it somewhere else before I saw this. So it was like, 
oh, that's, you know, cryptic and spooky. But who, you know, who taught Myers to drive and who taught him Celtic? Well, actually, if you've seen Halloween 6, you find out it's the uh, guy from Lethal Weapon. (laughs) Yeah, they they don't bring up anything else about this in Halloween 2, but this is an idea uh, that the later sequels picked up and ran with that uh, Myers is Michael Myers is who he is because of some kind of uh, druidic curse which is stupid but you know you're not supposed to know it's better not to know anyways okay yeah now look at that there's a janitor in the school who presumably <laughs> didn't notice Michael Myers cutting yeah. shit up. Yeah. Anyways, here's Nancy Stevens. She was, uh, she's reprising her role from the first movie. She's the nurse who's with Loomis when Michael breaks out. And she ended up marrying Rick Rosenthal. She became Nancy Stevens Rosenthal. And this is the sort of inexplicable, you're being called back to wherever the place was and it's kind of like how can you be called back to a thing like that but um she was also an h2o and that was kind of one of its big things was that well here it's like they didn't really had they didn't really have to get her for this um but they did so it's another it's another thread of continuity for the sake of continuity yeah i mean i find it interesting that you know, um, these were never packaged just because the first one had a different sort of non-studio. They were never packaged as a uh, combined set, you know, the Halloween saga or whatever, mm-hmm. which they seem to be shooting for. But at this point, 81, they would have been, they would not have been worrying about it being, um, released on video or much less DVD any day. And that makes me wonder about the all-new tag on the poster. Was that a reference to, like, theatrical re-releases of the first one? Oh, yeah, that's probably why why they had... And now... (laughs) So she's gone catatonic, bringing her even further out of the movie. So she made... Halloween, she made Terror Train, she made Prom Night, and then... Halloween 2. Halloween 2, and then... And after doing this, she said she wasn't going to do these movies anymore. And she didn't until the next Halloween. Well, I wouldn't really say H2O was one of these movies, but Halloween Resurrection really was. And I think that was... Halloween Resurrection was 2002, wasn't it? Uh Uh-huh. Um... I think when she made H2O, she thought that they were going to make a True Lies 2, and she was going to still be able to remain sort of um, A-list. But then yeah. after 9-11, Carpenter said he'd never make a True Lies 2, so she sort of had to cameo in Halloween 8 or something. I don't know. It seems interesting because everything I've read about that movie seems to invalidate everything she did in H2O. So here's something you don't see very often, even in a horror movie, is uh, a needle to the eye. 
Do we get music with it? No, a little bit. No? There's a tone going on. The insert shot, supposedly, was shot by Carpenter, right? Well, I don't know, but if it it (gasps) did... Rick Rosenthal thought of that, everyone. (laughs) Rick Rosenthal thought of that. Oh, here we go. Here's the shot that Carpenter supposedly shot. It's like an Argento movie all of a sudden. What's so funny when you think about Argento and Carpenter, even though they're both Panavision directors, I never would have compared them in some ways. Like, they seem so different, even though... They are different. It was just that one shot of the, you know, needle hovering above the eye. I like that ladies' lounge establishing thing that, you know, Lance Guest can't go into the ladies' lounge. It's, uh... Whatever. Um, what's what's funny about this movie being shot in Panavision is that, you know, we can probably sit here and mock some of the Rosenthal Panavision composition, but it's so long before Panavision sort of became the, pre, not even pretentious standard, but at some point in the late 90s, Panavision became the thing to do if you wanted a... I think maybe with Michael Bay or Tony Scott or somebody like that, it just got totally useless. And I mean, even here with Rosenthal, there's at least some composition for the frame. I mean, yeah. Although there's a, there's a couple of moments. I think he really botches what could have been cool pan vision effects. Uh, Here's where Michael Myers sort of seems to know where Laurie is already. So why didn't he just go to her earlier? Because he uh, doesn't really want to kill her. <laughs> evidently not. I mean, if he really wanted to kill her, he could do it. Also, they they must both be psychic because she knew to get out in time and to. Set but it's up a connection. It's connection. Yeah, it's the connection. They're on the same psychic sibling wavelength. They're on the Myers wavelength, which I'll mention that Josh Hartnett does not have in Halloween H2O, even though they sort of break the whole gender thing, which is yeah. really interesting in a way. And Actually, I think... we're, we're, we're joking about this, but, um, you know, in there's a recurring character in the later Halloween sequels who's supposed to be Myers' niece, and she can, like, you know, see what he's seeing and stuff. They've got a psychic connection, of course. She's supposed to be Nair's niece, but she's really supposed to be... Oh, right, yeah, she's supposed to be Jamie Lee Curtis's daughter. And then there's the incestual impregnation in um, Halloween 6, which I've never seen sober, so I couldn't really tell you much about it. But Paul Rudd is in it, um, and it was directed by Joe Chappelle, whose wife used to rent movies from me in uh, a video store in Evanston, Illinois, because she taught at Northwestern. And we always wondered how difficult their marriage must be because she was a film professor and he directed the shittiest movies you could imagine. And and just like uh, Michael Myers, we get to see from Jamie Lee Curtis's point of view sometimes. With some Vaseline on either side of the screen. um, Mm to show that she's not in good shape. I don't know if this is a cool shot or not. Help me out. Um, 
I think it's not not so cool because they're about to cut back to it, like from the same take when he was a little bit closer. The phone, Maybe. the phone shot. This whole yeah. Uh, yeah. See here, they're ruining. Yeah, it. Yeah, they ruin it. The the mask, the emphasis on the mask, the focus on the mask, being able to see, say, the texture of the mask. And I'm watching a blown up, um, non anamorphic version of it. Yeah, you shouldn't be able to see that. That's one of the things about the Michael Myers whole thing is, is that he's not supposed to be Michael Myers anymore. He's supposed to be the shape. and that, he's, still, um, he's still credited as the shape, in fact, in this one. Yeah, and maybe we see too much eyeball for me to believe that. But um, this is actually kind of a really long movie um, because if you think about you know how the first one worked this kind of sequence would only have been at the end. Right. And we're reducing this previously active heroic character to a drooling mess, Mm -hmm. presumably from that um, blood withdrawal earlier. And I think it's probably why we've gone off on lots of tangents about Friday the 13th (laughs) during this. Um, But now we're back to Hunter Von Leer. Stevens, Von Leer, and Pleasance together for the first time. And I think Stevens is the tallest of the three. Um, You're right. And what, this is an awkward shot that... Oh, this cop is such a bad actor. He's like one of the cops in The Dungeon Master. He's being escorted back to Pleasant Valley or whatever the hell the thing in the first one's called. And I mean, this is kind of an interesting... um, comment on the whole idea of continuing a sequel directly after the other one is the first Halloween takes place over what, two days? Mm-hmm. So we're now spreading the same running time over a few hours. Right. And it's, it's kind of a bad idea. And they compare this um, in the production notes on uh, the DVD. Here's where uh, this could have been a cool Panavision thing. They show Myers going into this room. Okay. And then they're going to, and then the, but then they pan back up to her and then they're going to pan back to show her going into that room. And it should have all been one shot. Then it would have been a little creepy. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's fine. I mean, well, I mean, you got to also realize that Rosenthal had directed a short movie that was probably shot Academy ratio. So, yeah. This all depends on how much of Dean Cooney's advice he was listening to. Um, what was I saying? I don't know. Here we go. <gasps> that was so scary. <laughs> and look at that cut. It's just terrible. I swear Goldblatt edited. What did he, did he edit? Batman Returns. What did he edit? I know. I know. Like I knew the name too. I just can't think of any of his credits. Because he directed, he directed Punisher in 89, and he was already something of a name at that point. But he, I thought he'd edited something, like, really good. Oh, here we go. Uh, Terminator 2. Terminator 2. Guy who edited Terminator 2. And, I mean, it's just like, it must be all that Skip Schulnick's fault. <laughs> Skip Schulnick. Sk- Skip Schulnick's fault. But this wasn't a bad edit, actually. I mean when you're cutting between scenes versus trying to, 
make them scary in scenes. Um, and here we have land. Th- that's another problem with this movie is that it's kind of it's it's nearly real time, but it never acknowledges that, and that it it doesn't really have a primary character. It's um, there is no real protagonist for the running time. It's just. It only it only pulls itself together in that regard, like in the last fifteen minutes, right? Next, when you finally have Loomis and uh, and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis together. Now, I never understood this. He IV'd her to death. Like, did he wound her unconscious and then stick the IV in so that all of her blood would drain out? Because he couldn't have used this IV as a weapon. Now, does he slip on the blood? And this is actually really cool of um, Carpenter, in a way, for coming up with this, because, I mean, this is a very Friday the 13th, not Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street um, cinematic. Slipping on blood? Yeah. It just seems like something Wes Craven (laughs) would have done with 50 less dollars or something. Um, It's Wes Craven's sense of humor, definitely. Yeah, and didn't in in the TV edit doesn't doesn't he slip in the blood when the explosion at the end happens? I can't remember. I think he does. He but... lives at the end of the TV edit. There's the spoiler. He lives at the end of the TV edit, and they live happily ever after, and they say they made it or some crap like that. And yeah, you don't see him get killed in this one, but it's it's ambiguous. He when he passes out later. And apparently Rosenthal shot the scene at the end of the TV edit with him coming back to life or whatever in the, um, we can mention that when we get to it. Yeah, we'll get to that. Michael Myers is so thorough. I use, I think like if you're trying to justify why he was going out of his way and killing people other than Lori, you could say that he saw how many people worked at this hospital and went like, well, it wouldn't take very long to bump them off, and I should just do that to make sure they can't help her later. You don't want witnesses if you're Michael Myers. You're concerned about that, the eventual court date. I wonder, um, if, he, I wonder, I wonder if he slashed the tires before he even entered the building, or if he like thought of it later and to go back and do it. Let's not, of course, think about the fact that Michael Myers was presented to us in the first movie as a force of nature, psychopathic. I mean, not even a psychopath. I mean, just totally... A force of nature. A force of nature who might not know what a car was in terms of the working parts, whereas Mm -hmm. in Halloween 2, he can slash tires and cut power at some point. The locks are another (laughs) thing that... um, Unfortunately, we talked to the poor security guards death scene. Um, and we've lost, let's point out, we've lost Night of the Living Dead at this point. There's some very different uh, music um, coming up. Oh, wait a minute. Here's where the, uh, this is this is actually kind of a cool kill scene by the standards of any horror movie, I think. Although I kind of wish we had seen it from Laurie's point of view because Michael's going to show up. So when she turns around, suddenly he's there. I wish we'd seen that from her perspective. Yeah. On the other hand, it is one of the few times his mask is not... If they had shown that entirely in her perspective as sort of a, you know, she's... 
in, you know, yeah. Not sure if it's real or not. That would have been really cool. Um, because that's what they're kind of implying with the Vaseline on the lens, but they don't do anything. No. Like, there's a Coke, Coke machine, <laughs> and the there's a Coke machine. I don't know if you saw it in your version. I wasn't paying attention. Um, but speaking of product placement in sequels, of course, this was post Superman Two, which had, I guess, is considered to have had the most obscene product placement of any film uh, at this at this time. Here's where the movie kind of becomes Halloween again, <laughs> finally. Or at least have we uh, really been watching this for an hour? An hour and ten. Yeah. Wow. Um, they finally got back to Jamie Lee Curtis being chased. And, yeah. Dead body. Um, okay. Right. Wow. Look at that wig. They couldn't convince her to grow her hair out? How long would it have taken? She had the short hair look already. She wasn't going back. Although that is the only body she finds, so it's not quite like the way she found one after another at the end of the first movie. That's true, except that's very gratuitous, the way the body's just kind of hanging out there. and He didn't have as much time to put some effort into it as the first one. Well, he had to kill a lot more people. Right. And now here we have the sort of discreet objectification of Laurie Strode in that she gets hiked up occasionally in the um, hospital gown type thing. Which is new for this one, because in the first one she's not at all... um... You know what... um... It's interesting about the first, the victims in the first one and the victims in the second one is that the reason she survives the first one is, well, critics said it was because she was the one virgin, but Carpenter says it's because she was the one responsible teenager. And I feel like uh, that blonde nurse who Michael just killed, man, his knife is so tiny. Um, that one blonde nurse that he just killed was sort of like the only nurse who was doing her job that night compared to the other yeah. <laughs> Wait, did you just imply that Michael Myers' whole thing is because he has a tiny penis? <laughs> I think you did. He does in this one, that's for sure. That'd be kind of funny for Carpenter. That thing. You could just you just swap that out of his hand. Well, no, he's scary. I mean, if you got look at that. Oh wow! Now he's like, now he's like the T one thousand. No, the T one thousand at least stuck his metal hand through the. Um through the elevator door. Are you implying the T-1000 has a tiny penis? No! Well, he did overcompensate a little bit. I think it's because the T-1000 was genderless in the future, and then he got back to the past, and it became a big deal for him to be a macho man. Ver- like Arnold. <laughs> right? Like. Yeah, like, he's like the guy who gets sand kicked in his face at Terminator Beach. <laughs> Um, she should have just ran at this point. Yeah, I mean that's kind of inexplicable because Michael Myers never runs. Yeah, hiding um, in a car is not a good idea. It doesn't idea. really make any sense. Why wouldn't she just keep going? Bad wig, bad wig. Oh wow, look at that wig. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis commentary of Halloween Two might be really cool. Mm. I would like pay a dollar ninety five for that. Yeah, I'd buy that for a dollar yeah. too. 
I buy that. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. There you go. Ninety nine cents on iTunes. Come on. We need we need something new, and now we have the downtown shot that apparently was shot in um, West Hollywood. No, not West Hollywood, but don't recognize it. Um, check check out this cop and his reactions to Loomis because they're so bad, and when he and when he sticks a gun in his face, he barely reacts at all. This is where Loomis is blaming the, the druids for everything. And I think I think druids get blamed for a lot of shit in movies because they're so mystical. You can just sort of ascribe any bad thing you want to them. They're easy. I mean, it's not like there's a big druid movement anymore. Mm-hmm. You can just make them bad guys. Maybe uh, maybe Wiccans com- complained about this movie at the time. I don't know. I guess they would have complained about Halloween Six if they were going. Yeah, complain. if they were going to complain, they would have complained about that. Yeah, I don't think they're really organized, you know? They're not, uh... This thing Loomis says makes no sense in the context of anything. He says, like, it's not the, you know, that's what we're all really afraid of is the dark inside ourselves. It's not monsters and demons. It's like, well, it is monsters and demons, Loomis. You're chasing a guy who you think is pure evil, who isn't human. You said it yourself. That's a pretty tangible monster. That's not just the darkness inside ourselves. Here's Nancy Stevens telling him that there was a secret mystery file that nobody ever saw. You think Loomis might have been told? This totally dis... Well, I mean, he kind of had an idea because of the cut scenes in the first one or the extra scenes. And that's an interesting idea of shooting new scenes for an existing movie. I mean, I don't think anybody did it between Carpenter and, say, George Lucas. I don't think he could have done it if movies on television weren't a bigger deal then. Yeah. At this at this point, I'm sitting here wishing I'm remembering the fog commentary, where Carpenter talks about shooting. Look, he's uh, so nonplussed. Well, of course he's not. He's a sheriff in Haddonfield. Oh wow, that is not shot at night. Wow, look at that. That was shot at like four o'clock in the afternoon. Uh Um. It reminded me of the uh, fog commentary where Carpenter talks about how they shot it in his garage at night. The talking scenes between Atkins and Jamie Lee Curtis. Here's Lance I'm... Guest again. Now this is—I think this is where the movie for me like finishes strong, probably starting from like right here, because you still have a little bit of idiotic um, dialogue from that cop, but. Um, the last 15 or so minutes of this movie, if, if that's all Halloween 2 was, I think it would have been one of the best sequels ever. If she had just, if this had just started happening, uh, once she got to the hospital, like if she showed up and people were dead and <laughs> Lance Guest is already wounded. Cause it's kind of eerie that he, you know, trails off in mid sentence horn goes off and and then when michael shows up uh, the final confrontation begins 
All right, I'll I'll admit to this. The first time I ever saw Halloween, I saw Halloween one and two at the same time, mm-hmm. and I thought Halloween two was better. That's right. You've said that before. Did I? Wow. Yep. Okay. I didn't think I'd admitted to it before. <laughs> um, yeah, I did. I thought Halloween two was better, and I'm. It's like I'm sitting here watching it now or something, and it's just so inexplicable because. Maybe it is better to a ten-year-old in some ways. Well, because... I think I think I think most people have seen this movie on TV and have prob- and probably like came into it halfway, or might have just seen this ending. And if and if you just see the last twenty minutes or fifteen of this movie, it seems so much better than it is because the ending is the best part. Yeah, and the other thing is, if you think about the TV, not the TV Rick Rosenthal version, but if you think about the TV version, oh, look, and... it's, look, it's Christina's world. sorry oh wow um if you see the tv if you see the tv version it fits in two hours so they cut it down to like what 72 minutes or something. They probably cut out a bunch of Leo Rossi. They had to cut out a bunch of scenes. It's probably like Delta Force. It it seems completely different if you watch it on TV. And that's kind of the thing is, is that, you know, people in the 1980s saw most things on commercial television. And that's sort of one of the things that, um, wow. <sighs> yeah. It's hard to tell where he's even stepping out from. Well, there. he's not. Yeah, I mean, that's that's. Um, I guess that technically would be a jump cut. But, but you, um, barely, you barely see him in the background there. Look at these POV shots; they're so boring. This is this is like one scene where it definitely uh, wouldn't have been, where it's not as scary to see it from his point of view. You need to be in Jamie Lee Curtis's point of view right. and get closer. I mean, she's capable of doing this scene totally from them focusing on her at the door, mm-hmm. too. I mean, it's not like we don't think... Look at that wig. Uh, is this <laughs> when he walks through the glass? Yeah, I had a friend who was a huge Friday the 13th fan, and the scene used to piss him off because he was he was like, oh, even Jason would have had to kick it. <laughs> even Jason couldn't just walk through that. Did we see the coke machine again? <laughs> Okay, so, yeah. This is about the point where Loomis really should have been counting the bullets on his revolver because he's going to run out at a critical moment. <laughs> this cop's an idiot, and everything he gets he deserves. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe we... this movie's almost over. We, It doesn't seem like we've been watching it for that long. Well, it's more fun this way, isn't it? Well, certainly, but wow. I like that Jamie Lee Curtis says, why won't he die here? It's a good reminder of how bizarre it is, how bizarre the situation has become. Now, would that be a John Carpenter shot, do we think? Yeah. I don't think so, because the only reason that cop was with them is to be one more victim. But didn't so Rick gonna... Rosenthal say his version was heavy on character development and eeriness versus um, nudity and gore? Mm-hmm, yeah. 
Maybe, maybe the insert of the knife going across yeah. the throat. Yeah. Just, you know, it's like it's actually uh, Carpenter did that insert of Adrian Barbeau in a pool of blood just for Escape from New York because they had to make sure that people knew she was dead. Like getting like getting hit and <laughs> getting hit right. by a car wouldn't wasn't obvious enough. Well, I mean, the insert shot is sort of famous. I mean, if you think about what is it, Spielberg had to shoot the insert shot of the head coming out of the uh, ship, uh, the boat, in Jaws, in his own swimming pool. Insert shots are very important for um, emphasis, I guess. Okay, here we go, Nancy Stevens. That is some cop dialogue out of, I don't know what, they live. It's kind of a carpenter line, I was just thinking. It is, but it's a carpenter line from a different context put into this. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's kind of the thing, is it it works in other stuff, but in this one it's just kind of... It's that disinterest of carpenter again that... um, I was wondering earlier if Michael Myers uses his hand to open... um, double doors like that and he doesn't he just walks right through it just like he walked through the glass well that's that's what's scary about him he can't get through that door though yeah he will we'll bust through it he's not very he's not very scary just pounding on it there we go well he's a he's he's a uh, he's Frankenstein's monster at this point I mean, he's... Uh (gasps) Uh-oh. How are you going to live to Halloween 4, Donald Pleasance? (laughs) I I love that, uh... I love that in the explosion that follows, it's sort of more incredible that Loomis survived that than it is that Michael Myers survived it for future sequels. That's the one thing I can't remember about Halloween H2O is if it's implied that Loomis died here or at some point later. No, no, but no, no, Loomis is in 4, 5, and 6. So I'm saying he survives. Well, right, he survives this, but he doesn't. In 7, it's questionable. Because, you know, that's like the real. Yeah, we're both going to have to. Oh, there's a little reference to the head tilt thing. (laughs) It's not in a totally different context. It, this made sense to me as a kid that you could get shot in the eyes and your eyeballs would still be there, but it doesn't now. Looks cool though. Yeah, blood, I mean it looks blood cool. trickling down, and the the swinging blindly. Although he's a fucking idiot swinging blindly like this because he knows where she is. She's in that corner. Where's she gonna go? He's in insane. <laughs> oh wait, hold on. He's not. He's supposed to be the embodiment of evil. Wait, no, he's insane. Aim it's... down, dude. <sighs> She's right there. You can probably hear her. He doesn't remember where she is. She shot. He got shot in the head. He, you know, it's <laughs> those, uh, those, it's like memento. Bullets, you know, like those bullets he, didn't. Those bullets didn't go out the other side of his skull, so they're just rattling around in there. Yeah, exactly. They're they're messing with his short term memory. He's kind of like the original Terminator in this movie. Well, now we have another Jaws reference, and that we're going to use a gas tank to. Uh, yeah. To kill the bad guy. It just keeps coming. I mean, this is kind of funny because it's post... Uh, what was that movie called? Is it Zombie? 
The one with the zombie versus the shark. That's zombie. Yeah, but watching this, you'd just love to see Michael Myers go up against Jaws. There'd be a good universal... (laughs) um, Yeah. Good universal thing there. Paul W.S. Anderson could definitely write that. You know, uh, they also considered doing Halloween 2 in 3D. Oh, I saw that, yeah, and then they, it was price-wise that they didn't. I like how Michael doesn't have any eyes, but he can, you know, pause to see the lighter. We've really been watching this for 92 minutes? Or 88 or whatever? I mean, Oh, wait, hold on, he's got to come out. Yeah, another thing that's just ridiculously awesome when you're 12. And another kind of pseudo-Terminator thing. This is, of course, pre-Terminator, so... Look at how bulky that flame-retardant suit is. Yeah, I mean, like, lighting a guy on fire was never as cool as it was in the early 80s. We had this, we had Swamp Thing, we had Terminator. Yeah, it was just bitching. So, finally, the cleansing power of fire is what brings down the evil. And I do like that, you know, they thought Halloween 2 was going to be it, and they didn't explain why Michael Myers is who he is. There's the Salmon thing, and, like, that's all you get. He's, you know, they wanted him to go to his grave being inexplicably powerful, which was nice. Yeah, and, I mean, that scene could have very easily been cut. I mean, it was just to give Donald Pleasance another moment. And I mean, and the other thing I always liked about this movie was this sequence. I mean, it just looks good. Yeah, it does. I always remember it. Yeah. Misty morning. It reminds me of, what is that, uh, Child's Play 2, where they exit the building, but in this one, it's, um, well, it's Panavision, Dean Coondy for one thing. I mean... Uh, here they just well I like that the movie just kind of like slows down to a stop after that climax nothing's really going on here except load it's very procedural but it, it gives it a kind of little bit of grounding reality uh, at, the, at the very end in a very unrealistic movie we're going to take you to a real hospital now <laughs> one, yeah. one that, isn't, that isn't staffed by complete incompetence well, I remember that, uh, what is that show, Grey's Anatomy, after the first season, all these medical professionals were, like, writing letters to the show that said, we do not screw and ignore patients all the time. Can you please fix that? And apparently that's what people like about it, which makes it, you know, sort of like Friday the 13th without the killing. The other thing is memorable is just these two shots, that close-up of Lori, the Mr. Sandman, and then Myers yeah. Mask. Away. It's a nice it's a nice ending. I like the last fifteen minutes of this movie. Well, I mean that's kind of the thing that um that kinda made him able to make Halloween H two O. Look at that. Jeffrey Kramer gets fourth billing in this movie, please. Come on. That's absurd. Um Come on. Doctor Mixter gets any high Look at that. Okay, anyway. Mixter shouldn't have been above Nancy Stevens. No, nope. not at all. Um, and it should have been and Nancy Stevens and then a break or something. Um, and look at that. Annie gets credited. That's kind of cool that Nancy Loomis gets credited without any lines. But anyway. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, and they credit Tony Moran, even though you don't see his face. Yeah, really. they did. They, I guess they just assumed. <laughs> but um, that's kind of the thing is that that's, that was the cool thing about H2O, and I'm sorry we're talking about that more than this one. Um, just that the thing about Halloween 2 is that they assumed you'd seen it, and whether you remembered it or not, whether or not you bought it six times on DVD like you did Halloween 1, you remembered some of it. Oh, there's Gary Keeby. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of... You know, it sort of fit into the um, consciousness, I guess. Well, the, the Halloween movies, like you said, they've got a lot of continuity, so they do have respect for their fans to a degree. Well, that's the thing that I always bug me about people's response to Halloween H2O. What? Was that that, that that couldn't be Michael at the end. That she couldn't kill him. And it's kind of like, but that you're missing, you, you've then skipped the point of the movie, which was sort of putting the, which was turning Laurie Strode into the James Cameron action hero, female yeah. action hero. <laughs> kind of kind of making up for what her character had to go through in this and, one. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, then if, and then, you know, not actually, it makes perfect sense that uh, um, Rosenthal would come back for the next movie after H2O and have her killed off. He must really hate Jamie Lee Curtis. Registered nurse. I like that. And it's a guy, Maurice Costello Jr. Um, he must have just not liked Jamie Lee Curtis. He didn't have any use. He for never her. said anything about her either. Um, yeah. I'm kind of shocked that Rick Rosenthal doesn't have a rickrosenthal.com where you can buy commentaries to this and Bad Boys and the Ralph Macchio movie and um, The Birds 2. Yeah, The Birds 2, Land's End, directed by Alan Smithy. That's always been my problem with this kind of thing is that, you know, you could get me to pay a buck ninety-five for a commentary to some shitty sci-fi movie sequel that you made. So, oh, Don Post definitely did the masks for the first one. Um, I think even and, Carpenter... And for, and for three. Carpenter mentions him in the commentary for the first one. But it's like, they don't uh, they do not do this, and it's not like, I'm, uh, no offense to uh, Rick Rosenthal, but I'm, uh, you know, he could give the money to charity or something, and you know, I'd, I'd pay a buck ninety-five <laughs> well, for know, it. Good movies are well-documented, but... Movies that aren't so good, sometimes the trivia is just I'm, as interesting. I'm not sure that's true in the age of DVD, as I realize that we're recording this with probably as much technological uh, superiority as some of the crappy audio commentaries people listen to on actual DVDs. Here we go. I've never actually, I don't know who Gene and Louise Bramson are. I've never watched the special thanks on this. Um, well, that's Halloween too for you. That's Halloween 2, and next Friday, Halloween 2 will be coming out from Rob Zombie. Yeah, and it doesn't take place entirely in a hospital. They just made it look like that in the trailer a little bit. Because they were supposed to reference this. And I just, when I was Googling Halloween 2, I saw that Michael Myers might speak in Halloween 2 by Rob Zombie. Did you see Mm -hmm. that? I mean, neither of us have seen the original, so... Well, how else are you going to kick it up a notch? Um, he could be an alien. That would work. Um, yeah. he could be a he could be a transformer. 
Um, that'd be Halloween three by Rob Zombie. Though. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the it was such a you know this. I mean, Halloween two, the Michael, the being a sister thing, it kind of just stuck. I mean, it's not like people forgot that they were supposed to be brother and sister because because it was just announced in the sequel. It's kind of like it's sort of impossible to view the first one without thinking them of them as brother and sister. Yeah. Now. That's and, and one the Rob, of the yeah. The Rob the Rob Zombie remake set it up at the beginning that they were brother and sister. It just, you know, incorporated that as if there weren't any other way to do it. Which of course is something that John Carpenter never intended initially. Yeah, never never initially intended it, but that's how everybody knows it now. It's one of those it's one of those cases where uh new details that they add in a sequel become part of the established mythology. And it's interesting, of course, for Halloween to have a mythology because um, I would say even though Nightmare on Elm Street sort of worked toward it, um, even though I don't know what I'm talking about, Friday the 13th certainly never did um, work toward a mythology. It just sort of did what it could with the budget it had and the filming schedule it had. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that the third or fourth one was supposed to have Jason's dad in it, and they just didn't get around yeah. to shooting it. Um, but well, yeah. Continu- continuity is what gives our franchise fans a sense of security. And it's kind of interesting that um, horror franchise fans have sort of, and comic book fans, have sort of now become the standard... Um, Hollywood target market in a way that yeah we worry about well, that or they worry about that. Um, I guess that's how we got all the way to a new Halloween too. Yeah, and it's called Halloween too, I guess, right? Like yeah, with the, it's just Halloween know, too. Yeah, there's versus gonna, go H2, to the, yeah. When you go to the video store, the, there's going to be two remakes next to to a movie and its sequel. Now, how would you properly put that? You would do Halloween 1978, then Halloween 2000, or 19, whatever the hell Rob Zombie was. And then Halloween 2, 1981. Halloween 2, 2009. It's kind of amazing, though, because as someone who's seen Halloween 2 and Halloween, Halloween H2O and Halloween 6, I have absolutely no interest in the Rob Zombie ones. Yeah, me either. I thought I did, but... And there's nothing really that it would get me to see either. He could, he jam packed his movie with like you know B horror actors who I actually know like you know Caroline right. Williams, Texas Chainsaw Two or whatever, and that still won't get me to see it. I bet if they paid us to watch it, we'd do it. Oh, let's get working on that. <laughs> hey, I've tried. I almost got free tickets to see the TV set directed by Jake uh, Kasdan, and then the guy. Did not come through. Um, but yeah, well, so Halloween yeah. two, directed by Rick Rosenthal. Yeah, check out um, check out Alan Smithy podcast uh, and we will link you to this Q and A session that happened uh, just the other week with um, Rosenthal and Alan Howarth, the co composer and one of the actresses. The actress, what was her the, name? Her, the black her, woman who hit, gets eye yeah. to death. And you don't see that she's there too. 
And we'll also have some other cool stuff, actually, because it's a special episode. Um, yeah. We'll have, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to make some banners. I might make a poster or something. I'll do something this weekend. Definitely the banners, probably the poster. We'll do some crazy Halloween two celebration stuff because they probably both suck, but the Rob Zombie one will probably suck more than the Rick Rosenthal one. Yeah. And, so check out the site, let us know what you think and let us know if you like this commentary and, uh, if uh, something we should keep doing, um, but, iTunes yeah, comments, iTunes comments, <laughs> iTunes comments, please. Everybody says that, but I don't think anybody ever does it because even the most popular podcasts only have like a hundred and two. Mm-hmm. So whatever. Well, okay. Yeah, whatever. Anyways, this was fun. Uh, this has been an Al- a very special episode of an Alan Smithy podcast. I was Matt, and I was Andrew, and um, we'll see you next time. Yep. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Best of Alan Smithy Podcasts. This is Claire Queen Tanner. Good evening.